thank you just for calling us to worship with all of our heart, soul, strength, and mind this morning and act and rescue us from formality and let us actually just in our spirits hear from you and interact with you in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're taking a break uh, this week and next week as well from the Luke series so that we can cast a little bit of vision and probably most of that vision is just reminding you again about the vision that we have as Colossae churches and as Sherwood in particular. So this week, I want to, to share with you right now something of a vision that comes from me that fits under the vision of Colossae, but it's really specific to some priorities and some values that I've learned over the last 40 years of being a part of the church. There's certain things that we as the church in America and in this current generation or two or three um, sometimes struggle with, and I want to help us as a fairly new church move past those things and move through those things. And so I want to share those with you this morning. So that's what today is. And then at the end of the gathering, I'll talk to you a little bit about next week. So Jesus said, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. But I have come, I came, that they or you may have life and have it abundantly. Jesus essentially was saying, I've come that you might have life in all of its fullness. I've come to reunite you with my Father. I've come to put you back in sync with creation, the way that you were designed to live in all of its fullness. I've come to give you new hopes and new appetites, to take away hopes that can be empty and appetites that can be destructive and give you hopes that are eternal and give you appetites that are life-giving. I've come to restore everything. Revelation 21.5 quotes Jesus as saying, Behold, or look, I'm making all things new. The good news for us is that we don't wait for that to happen. Uh, I grew up in a conservative Baptist church, and so for a long time, I was misunderstanding that all that Jesus promised to give was for, you know, later, that I just accept Jesus, and then I kind of slog through life, and then after life is this life, this temporary life is complete, then this fullness would come. But we know that's not the case. That's not what Jesus said, but he actually says, for those of you that believe in me now, for those of you who come into relationship with me now, that life begins already. And so abundant life is something that we are stepping into. And I, and I would say that you, as Colossae family, Sherwood in particular, have stepped into that in so many ways. Having some coffees and lunches this week and visiting a couple of small groups, you guys are, have stepped into abundant life with each other, and that's fantastic. But there's always so much more to embrace, and so I want to take a, a look at what it means to get to that more So a question for you, how do we receive the new and abundant life Jesus has given us? And I literally want you to throw out a couple of answers. How do we fully receive the new and abundant life that Jesus came to give us? Through prayer, absolutely. Yeah, it's a life that comes through faith. Uh Uh-huh, as we interact with each other and observe each other and reflect Jesus to each other. Yeah, laying down that prone to wander that we just sang about, that that heart that is selfish and receive a heart that's not selfish. Yeah, absolutely. I want to talk even more specifically about, and I'm sure it's what we're already doing, but encourage us to do it all the more. Jesus so often taught in parables, and one of the reasons was to veil the truth to hard hearts. But I also believe, and it's pretty clear, another reason he used parables was to show that things that are invisible and hard to comprehend 
can be seen in images that are in our lives. So there are things that we do every day and that we experience every day, whether it's farming or eating or exchanging money or buying property, those things we can relate to, Jesus uses to illustrate the things that are hidden, what the kingdom of God is like. So, you know, he said the kingdom of God is like, and then he gave a parable that was something that everyone could relate to in, the, in that culture. And so I want to give you a quick parable for what I'm sharing with you today. Uh, and it goes something like this. Abundant life in our culture, physically speaking, for our bodies, generally consists around how we handle food, work, activity, and rest. God's provided every green plant, fruits, vegetables, grains, meat optional, so that we can flourish as humans, so that we can grow, so that we have fuel and energy. God also provides us with work. I heard today from... um, Mr. Jackson, he said he was glad to be productive this week in work, and that's, that's in us, right, to, be, to have a productive day, to produce things, to build things, to create things. And then there's activity. God's created us with these endorphins that we get to feel when we're active, when we do certain things, when we exercise, when we see something that's beautiful and amazing, uh, when we share an intimate relationship together in all those ways. Creation internally affirms the goodness of those activities. And then God has created us to rest. And I hope today or maybe yesterday is that day for you where you kind of call a timeout on the rest of what you're doing and just take in a day that's simple, that's basic, that's relational, and that's good. Those things are all tangible, and we can see these. But because of our human nature, within those things, we choose poorly sometimes. So when it comes to food, uh, I choose sweets. I have the biggest sweet tooth I've ever seen. I could eat desserts all day. My favorite breakfast is chocolate cake. I look forward to chocolate cake twice. I buy it that night for the party, and then I know in the morning, this is my (laughs) breakfast. (laughs) But that's not really healthy. And if I ate that way constantly, the way I kind of want to, I would feel super sluggish. I'd be uncomfortable. It'd be a sad life. Then there's work. Um, For a lot of us, and especially when we're young, it's kind of hard to be motivated to go to work or to go find a job if I don't have one. And so sometimes we can be lazy, we can be sluggish, we can choose uh, inactivity. And then, you know, when it comes to exercise, I, I started going to the gym three times a week a couple of years ago, and I got to tell you, it, it's hard to do that some days. I always feel wonderful when I leave, but when I go, when I'm trying to get out of bed to go, I don't feel that way, I'm not motivated. In the last couple of weeks, I've even dropped the ball on that, which is unfortunate for me. And then rest. Uh, some of us are the other way. We're very, very active. And we don't rest well. So even on a day when we're supposed to be down, when all the kids are quiet or nothing's going on in the house, we pull out our phones and check our email and we just work all the time. So we often choose the life that isn't abundant, even though the resources are put in front of us, is really what I'm trying to say. It's really up to us to choose. So on the one hand, God is the giver of all that we need. The Holy Spirit fills us with the power and the self-discipline and the love to do it. But we are the other half of the equation, and we have to choose. We have to choose daily and even sometimes moment by moment. Am I going to receive and live inside that abundant life by the choices I make? So today, for the sake of you, the church, I want to talk to you about three choices that I want to call us to affirm together today and to make as a church daily and weekly as we move uh, into what God has for us this fall and in the years to come. You guys doing okay? Are you with me? Okay. So, 
Thank you, Jeremy. Again, these I've chosen. There are so many things we could talk about, but I've chosen three things today that I've seen are chronically a challenge for the church to live into. And so um, I want to call us to live into them well. So in the book of Matthew, chapter 8, Jesus is quoted this way. Everyone who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who builds his house on a rock. Conversely, everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice or does not do them will be like a foolish person who builds his house on sand. In simplest terms, when Jesus completed what we call the Sermon on the Mount, he concluded it by saying, my words are for doing. My words are for doing. All that I've said didn't need to be said if it ends with words. But I'm calling you by the things that I say to act and to do. Humanly, that our human default, our corrupt default, can do a lot of things with, word, with the Word of God. One is that we can kind of be filled with pride eventually and even use it to condemn. And we see that prolifically in the life of the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the scribes and teachers of the law. They use the Word to become very proud of their knowledge, their expertise, and then they used it to condemn. And so we find them constantly bringing people before Jesus who, hey, this person should, according to the Word, should be condemned. The scriptures also talk about a couple other ways that the word is used inappropriately. In Acts 17, 21, it says, Now all the Athenians and the foreigners who lived there would spend their time doing nothing else but telling and hearing something new. And that's just kind of a human default as well. Like we just want to hear TED Talks that are curious, that are interesting, something worth tweeting, something worth quoting, something to say, hey, did you hear this or that? That in and of itself is not bad, but is, if that's as far as it goes. There's really no abundant life in it. It's just a point of curiosity. Another scripture in 2 Timothy 4, this is a prophetic word that Paul gives to Timothy. He said, the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wandering off to myths. So there's kind of another human rut that we can move toward where it's just curiosity. It's just interest, kind of the latest thing. And we feel like old teaching is old and was for another time, and we want to hear the new teaching. And so my, my call to you, my ask of us, is that we recommit as we move into the fall and into a new year together to not handle the Word of God poorly, to not handle it in those default ways, but instead to handle it in such a way that every time we are either reading or we are memorizing, or we're reading the devotional Bible to our kids, or we're listening to a teaching or a podcast, that we ask the Spirit, what should I do in response to the Word? Rather than moving toward critiquing how that message came and was conveyed, which is a common place to go, let's go to the place of saying, what's the obedience here? Or what's, what do I receive here? Scriptures are for obeying, but they're also for comforting. They're also for affirming. They're also to invoke gratitude in us to God. And those are the ways that we want to go. And so, again, the call to you is, as we use the scriptures in the coming year, can we and will we choose to use them to grow and flourish and step into abundance by a greater knowledge of Jesus, of the Father, of what he's done, and of what he's asked us to do? So that's handling the word well. I would say it just in a, sim a simple sentence this way. What is our practice? I would ask that our practice be that we act on what is revealed in the scriptures. We move to action. Jesus said, blessed is the one who does 
these words of mine. The second area I want to talk to you about, and this is going to sound kind of practical, but it has tremendous ramifications, and that is how we structure leadership. What would you say are some of the human propensities towards how we should lead or how we want to be led? How do we set up leaders in our culture? Charisma, yeah. I want them to be engaging when I'm listening to them, yeah. How else? Yeah. Yeah, we make them another, another class of person. Yeah, in a word, uh, just to reflect what you guys have already said, we tend to move towards single and exalted super leaders. And I, it's just humanly in us. We just want to see people that are outstanding and who are super, and we tend to, to want exclusive leaders. And we see this throughout the scriptures. Uh, everybody loved to have Moses be in charge, uh, but his uncle, I mean, his father-in-law, Jethro, pointed out one time when Moses was doing his thing as a super leader and trying to handle everyone's uh, differences and squabbles, and he would spend his entire days judging. And Jethro came in and said, what are you doing? This is insane. Two million people, and they are waiting all day long to talk to you. You're wearing these people out. Why are you doing it this way? Why are you doing what humanly we want to do and being a single superhero leader? And he said, why don't you do this? And then he gave that little plan to have leaders of thousands and hundreds and fifties and tens. That would have engaged, I did the math, which was pretty easy. That would have engaged 13% of the entire community. There would have been about a quarter of a million leaders among two million people. That's a lot of leadership. And then as you move through the history of Israel, again, Israel looked at the other nations around them and said, we want a king, right? We want that single super leader. And, and the father's wish was, no, I want to lead you locally with people who know you and have relationship with you, and I want to raise people up, and then I want to pull them out. I want to rotate leadership. I want to share leadership. I don't want this second class of humans who you expect to be super and to constantly lead you, but instead I want the only celebrity to be me, God the Father. Jesus the Son, and not humans. And so, but they said, no, we want this, we insist. So God made it work, and it happened. But we know that God's way is to lead in team and in community with multiple people. When you get to the New Testament, you see again, um, Paul went from church to church as he planted, and he set up elders. And he said, I want you to lead in team. And then he quote, we can quote in Ephesians, he had this plan where God has given us apostles, prophets, evangelists, and pastors and teachers. Five different voices, five different kinds of leadership. And I, he said, I, this is given to us by God to lead, so we need to lead in team. And then he outlines what for him is the ideal uh, worship gathering in Second Corinthians 14. And he says, hey, some of you have been given gifts of prophecy, and some of you have been given words of knowledge, and other languages to speak, and gifts of healing and gratitude. Let all of these things happen so that we can lead in the way God wants us to lead. Uh, this passage here says, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up. In love. That is one run-on sentence, isn't it? <laughs> in short, what he's saying is the Holy Spirit equips pretty much all of us with something to do in the body of Christ. And it works best, and we actually grow and we become united when each part does its work. And so, again, this is something that I would set out for us, again, as we continue to move forward. 
What does it look like for each one of you to find your piece of leadership? Not just service, but a piece of leadership where you can say, this is my passion. This is a grace I have from the Holy Spirit. This is a skill that I have learned. How can I employ it in some way to lead in this community? Just by way of example, uh, in your small groups, in our communities, I think those communities function best when about half the group is somehow leading. So rather than having an an individual or a couple who hosts, who does all the communication, who prepares a Bible study, who plans out the next few months, that happens. That's done a lot. Maybe you're doing that. I hope not. But what if you delegated all of those pieces to people that had a passion for it? What if you delegated those out to six different people? Somebody communicates and somebody plans the schedule and someone leads the study and someone someone is in charge of prayer and someone is in charge of ministry or service to the community. Everybody has a nice small piece that they can carry. I think that's a lot more sustainable and a lot more powerful if we lead in that way. The other practical things that I would offer to you that we're working on here at Sherwood is that we want to lead in team when it comes to worship and to teaching. And so it's my intention to teach maybe about half the time. Uh, to be faithful to you to do that and to be in charge of teaching and make sure that it happens and that it's fluid and that it's good and powerful. But I want to share that responsibility with a couple of the guys from Colossae Tiger and also a couple of people from here. And so I want to start a little teaching cohort here where we can learn together and practice together some best practices and share so that you get to hear from multiple personalities, multiple multiple perspectives The sad thing to me when we have that one individual is that person just keeps getting better and better and better. And after a while, we couldn't even listen to anyone else because any of the rest of us would be so weak in contrast. But instead, what if several of us together grow and improve and become solid teachers for several years to come? I think that's God's way. Again, we want to do the same thing in worship. So Peter uh, Jenkins, who led, thank you, this morning... (laughs) is going to be in charge of our worship team, but he's going ha- to partner up with Kale and others and create a team where they can lead back and forth. And one guy or gal will be up front and maybe even bring in, create some trios with some percussion and some bass, lead in team. So that's, that's what I understand the scriptures to be, and I would hope that our practice would be simply this, that we lead in team. And then finally... Um, The last thing that I want to share with you is how we fulfill God's purposes. Jesus commissioned his disciples, and he said a couple of things that I want to remind you of this morning. In Matthew, he said, and he's telling about the future date when life in this world is coming to a completion, and he says, the king will place the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, come, you who are blessed by my father, Inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundations of the world. And here's why. Here's why. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me in. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick. You visited me. I was in prison. You came to me. And then on the other hand, he also said this in Luke 15, 7. Just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. I bring these two passages up to you for two reasons. They, they show the two hands of God in the world, the two hands of Jesus and all that he did. On the one hand, he was serving the suffering. If you think back through his life, he was doing that constantly. When people suffered from the control of demons, he sent demons away. 
people suffered from the pain and the debilitating effects of disease, and he cured diseases. People were hungry, and he fed them, and he cared for the suffering. But then on the other side, he also shared the kingdom of God and the good news of himself as the savior of the world for the sake of people's souls, that they could be saved. And then he commissioned all of his followers and created the church, which is his body, his bride, to continue and to fulfill that work. And here, I I think the human tendency sometimes is out of fear or insecurity or indifference or even self-occupation is to abandon that mission, to feel like we're too weak or this isn't a good season for me or I just don't have space in my life or I'm not the right person to do it and we abandon this mission that we've been called to, the highest priority of followers of God. It's to reach out to the suffering and to reach out to the lost. And so, again, I would just remind you of that and say, can we agree together as as a church in Sherwood to partner with other churches in Sherwood to not forget the mission of God, to create space in our life to fulfill the mission of God, and to have faith and prayer, as you said, to receive strength from the Spirit. God has not given us a spirit of fear or a spirit of timidity, but what? Power, love and a sound mind. We've been given it. It's been provided. But are we going to receive it daily? Are we going to say, Father, who's suffering today that I could care for, that we could care for, that my family, my roommates, and I could care for? Who needs to hear the good news that Jesus is with us, that Jesus has a way out from depression and anxiety and fear and emptiness? And is that on our mind regularly? Is that the highest thing that we do? I believe if we can agree together that this is what we will be characterized by as a church, we will have an incredibly abundant shared life. If we take the scriptures and we say, Jesus, what do I do about this? What's the response to this? It came well, it came poorly. Either way, your word has come to me. What do you want me to do? And then we ask the question, how am I going to lead? What's my role? What's my role in our home? What's my role in our church? What's my role on Sundays? Is there a way that I need to lead? And then are, are we going to continue to press in and keep it a priority that we are here for the suffering and the lost in Sherwood? It's all in our hearts, right? I mean, as I'm saying all these things, we're going, yeah, absolutely, I agree. The challenge is that we have the courage and that we're filled with the Spirit to say yes to opportunities every day to do the things that we're saying. What we want to do next week by way of follow-up, and this is following up to Chuck's teaching from last week where he talked about the lost, is next week we want to kind of review and find out from you, and I'm going to need your help, how are we as a church in Sherwood already helping the suffering and helping the lost? So what I actually need, what we need is from you some stories. Um, And I would ask you if you are doing something in the city of Sherwood to serve either suffering or the loss that you'd let me know and maybe we'll interview you for a few minutes and have you share that story. Or maybe you just want to send an email to me and say, well, here's kind of what I'm a part of. But what we want to do next week is to kind of celebrate, hey, did you know that Sherwood Colossae is doing these things in the city already? I think you're going to be surprised by some of the things that some of you are doing, but you don't know that because you haven't shared the story. And encouraged. And what this, there's two things to do here. One is to say thank you, God for the momentum that we have in mission. And secondly, to say, how do we build on that? Are there ways that some of us, either as families or roommates or individuals or a community, could partner with one of these stories and say, hey, this year, 
uh, we want to help you in what you're doing. We want to join you in that. So please let me know, or it'll be a very quiet, short Sunday. <laughs> if there aren't some stories from you, <laughs> if there aren't some emails that give us some fodder to work with. And then we want to pray over those things. We want to encourage you as people that are doing that uh, to go again another year to do those things. And we want to see how we can join you. God probably already has given us most of our mission for the city. We just haven't talked about it yet. So that's the intention. Are you going to help me out with that? Will we have some stuff to share? Yeah? It'll be a really spontaneous Sunday if you don't. (laughs) All right. Let's pray. Let's move towards the table. Jesus said, you know, take the cup and take the bread to remember me. And it's because of this that everything we said is possible. It's because of Jesus that I don't have to give in to my defaults as a corrupt human. It's because of Jesus that I have the spirit to be a new human, to live as an abundant life. So, yeah, thank you, Peter, for spontaneously leading us.